The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. This is Shaken and Stirred. I'm Nigel Barker in New York, and I am with Tom Astor in England. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks, Nigel. Yeah, we're good. We're getting, it's getting cold over here, so we're just hunkering down there. Hunkering but, down, finally. Finally, for the winter, yeah, for the autumn. The autumn's getting up, and there's a chill in the air, and we're right, yeah, it's all good. The got the fires going. I see you have a little vest on, a little woolen vest. I have. Well, heating's not terribly very good in my library, so otherwise I'd be shivering throughout this whole thing so but you can't see that if you're not listening to a podcast so although i don't know i can hear the shiver in your voice and i actually it's i think that well, vest is something you've had now for as long as i've known you i mean this must be a 40 year old vest i've got a few of them you know that i just buy i buy tell them everything what are you drinking tommy what are you what are you doing uh, something in light of the fact that, that our guest today who is probably one of the coolest people we're going to have on our podcast. Well, we have had on our podcast. Not to say the other previous guests haven't been cool, but this guy is, you know, I mean, the real deal. We've got, we've got a singer, we've got a, we've got a cowboy, we've got, you know. So I, I, I think what we have is a man crush, people. I think have, this, our yeah. guest coming on today is basically who the snapper wishes he was, or perhaps in an alternate life thinks he is. You know, I don't, because I don't have a voice like him, unfortunately. I wish I, wish I did. So what I've decided to do is instead of going down the road of, you know, our guest also has his own whiskey and all that, we'll get onto that, but instead of trying to just do something fancy, I've just gone to the coolest thing I can kind of get close to, being English and all the rest of it, which is literally a straight up vodka martini. Oh, for God's sakes. Yeah. But you know something? I haven't actually made one of these on this show before, so... Why don't we just go chin chin, mate? Because I made a vodka martini too. <laughs> Cheers. By the Cheers. way, first time ever. Crazy. We never talk about this, by the way, guys. First time ever we've done the same drink. Now, mine's slightly different, as in I just decided to put a couple of dashes of orange bitters into mine, making a vodka martini, not a gin martini, which I've done before. As you know, I've done the best, but we've made other kinds of martinis. But we've, this is the first time we've done the same kind of thing. But of course, it was... Booze news. Booze news, everybody. This is a kind of a combo. It was National Vodka Day, and I thought we should talk a little bit about vodka, Tom. You know, before we get to our guest, because you're, you're right. You know, he's a, a incredibly talented guy. Does all kinds of things, but most of all, he breaks hearts as well as you know gets people swooning for him all over the place. The martini is a classic. It's just the most classic cocktail and, and, and ironically you could argue that there's so little to it a vodka martini especially is almost a, a non a, a non-starter for some people because vodka almost has no flavor right it's a sort of uh, mm. unlike a gin martini where you've got all the botanicals and floral a- accents and, and and of course the vermouth the dry vermouth sets off a gin martini with vodka you know, I, that's why i added the bitters because you've really not got a lot to, to go with. That's why I've got a twist of lemon in the top. And, you know, however, it's a very, very clean drink. Now, doing a little bit of research, uh, it's quite interesting that vodka has now become the number one liquor in America by far. And I mean, it has been for a bit, but now it's 33%. It's the, the, the 33% of the population, it's their number one drink, which is huge. I mean, it, it outbeats bourbon by bourbon, it's like 10% of the, of the population in the US. So it's, it's, a, it's a huge deal. And, it's interesting too, because the word vodka 
has sort of multiple different origin stories, tracing back as early as 1405, by all accounts, and is the Slavic word for water. Yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> vodka means water in Slavic. You know, just as some facts on vodka, the alcohol used in vodka is, is usually distilled from wheat or rye, not potatoes, like so many people believe. Although, of course, you can use potatoes. But vodka is interesting because you can make vodka from just about anything that produces sugar, anything that sort of ferments. So we're talking corn, sugarcane, beets, uh, beetroots, grapes, vegetables, fruits, and of course, as I mentioned, potatoes. And this is an interesting fact that I did not know, actually, until I did my research, which is one of the things when you make vodka, right, is you're adding water to the alcohol that produces the vodka in the end. And for every 500 liters of water you add to 500 liters of alcohol, it actually contracts and produces 941 liters of vodka. So it sort of sucks up, out. so you add the two together, you don't get one plus one equals two, which is such an interesting thing for me. I never knew that at all. So a lot of different things. Also Bond, we talk about James Bond with martinis a lot. And uh, actually turns out that James Bond's favorite vodka, uh, martini rather, was a vodka martini, not a gin martini or a Vespa. Now if you go through his books, he drank a total of 19 vodka martinis compared to 16 gin martinis and one Vespa. Meanwhile, the Vespa is the one everyone talks about. So anyway, happy National Vodka Day. And I think it's high time we bring in our guest. Yeah, chin chin. Chin chin. Cheers, fellas. How are you doing? <laughs> very, very well. All the better for seeing you. Our guest today is already enjoying a drink, which we love because he's on his day off. And, um, you know, quite frankly, it, it's five o'clock somewhere, as we love to say on Shaken and Stirred. Um, you know, he started his career as a bull rider uh, on the rodeo circuit, which I actually think is what Tom wishes he could have done. Yeah, the snapper in his mind has always been a rodeo. Uh, on the rodeo circuit and a bull rider. I'm too cowardly for that. It's way too no, 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 no. I, I can imagine, though, Tom. I, I can see it in your eyes. You've got the, you know, the eye of the bull in your eyes right now. <laughs> he learned music with a guitar gifted him by his mother, which is just the loveliest story. And he has since gone on to release six critically acclaimed albums. Not to mention, and this is not too shabby, he has an Oscar, a Golden Globe, a Grammy, to name but a few. Let's just get on with it, shall we? Please welcome the brilliant... Ryan Bingham. Ryan, mate, welcome to Shake It and Stirred. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Where are you? I'm in Montana. I'm up in, in Hamilton, Montana. It's uh, southwestern Montana. And so I've been up here working on some stuff. And uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll be here for a while. Have you got your family up there with you? Or are they back in LA? No, they're back in LA. They came up here with me for a couple of months when I started uh, working on the show. And then they, uh, they, they just headed back. Uh, a week ago, so I'm going to finish it out here by myself for the duration and try to write a few songs and, um, you know. Excellent. It's all changed. I mean, Nigel, I saw Ryan. When, when were you over in the UK? You were over in here, what, how many months ago? I mean, I was it was... There, I was in, in January. I was there yeah. right before the, the everything hit. And um, so, yeah, the, it's been... Uh, the craziness. I don't remember the talking about your plans, and then you met a friend of mine called Ollie Clark, who, the genius guitarist, who was going to come out and see you in Austin. And he was ringing me up as you left the UK. You invited him. Nigel is a friend of mine who, who, who plays guitar. And I mean, to give him an accolade, he, Ryan turned around to him and said, um, he's about, he's 20, this kid's like 24, 25. And he's the one of the best guitarists I've ever heard. 
Yeah, hands down, I've ever heard play. Yeah, well, Ryan said, if you're ever looking for a singer in your band, you know, will you will you consider me, please? You know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this the, all those plans have changed. Though. I mean, all the we were going to come. I was going to use it as a great excuse to come out and see you in June and bring like chaperone him over and you know come come and see you guys. And then obviously you know the whole thing's changed. But I just got a questions for you that he wants to. All right. Well, itch, itching, itching. But before we get into all of it, I mean, I first of all, I see a bottle of whiskey by your side, perfectly placed. You know, product placement right there, off, right your, there. off your shoulder. I mean, very well done. <laughs> this is our new baby. Uh, this is a, a new whiskey that I just came up with over the last couple of years, and it's called Heart to Whiskey. And uh, yeah. when does that come out? Uh, we're hoping next year sometime. We just this is just kind of the first batch here, and. Uh, it's just really kind of started for friends and family and things like that. It's something that uh, I've always been a, just a big fan of, of whiskey and on tour. We've always drank whiskey and coming up with something that just really fit. Kind you're of actually around. working right now then. You're just, you're, you're taste testing the new product. I am. I'm taste testing, you know, I got to check and make sure those hangovers aren't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Just like Tom and I, basically the, the podcast becomes a tax write-off as we'd be able to sort of get drunk and write it all off. <laughs> You were also probably one of our few guests who's come on with their own drink. I mean, not you know, most people come on with a cocktail or whatever, but it's kind of rather fancy and nice to be to have your own whiskey. A bit like, I mean, Bob Dylan came out of his old sort of line of whiskeys and things. How involved were you in, in, in the process? I mean, I know I hear you drink a whiskey before you go on, or you have some kind of you know tradition before you go on stage of having a whiskey with, with the rest of the band. Is that what was a part of it, or what, how did you sort of come up with the, the whiskey? Yeah, it just it started. I started doing these solo acoustic tours, and uh, a really good friend of mine named Cody Huggins is which is my road manager. Enjoys drinking whiskey as well, and we'd always just try to find a nice bottle of whiskey, and you know, have a glass on the rocks before the show, and maybe one during the show. the The show was really tailored around just sitting with an acoustic guitar and telling stories and about the songs, and so it was kind of this intimate kind of show setting. And you know, we always found that a, a glass of whiskey was at the center of it. And we traveled all around the world, trying all kinds of different kinds of whiskey. And there was just something I was really looking for. I was looking for in particular it was something that I could drink on the rocks that was smooth, but not really that sweet. Uh, a lot of the whiskeys they said in the States are just, they're just sweet. And uh, I wanted something that had a little bit more kick to it and a little spice to it. And I don't know, I eventually just got with a master distiller and just kind of started going through the trials and, and, uh, of finding that perfect balance of what I wanted. So it's not something that's just like a, a brand that I went to a, a place to get attached to. It's something that, you know, I really work at to get that certain flavor. You researched it. Yeah. In America, do you have to, I mean, is whisk, does whiskey have to be made, you know, bourbon, does it have to all be made in Kentucky? I mean, where is your whiskey being made? Does that make a difference? Yeah, it does. There's a lot of, con there's a lot of rules for it to, you know, qualify as a Kentucky bourbon and it has to be aged in a barrel for a certain number of years. So for the first part of it, we've, we're, um, we're doing a blend. So that kind of enables us to just get it right away. And then like down the line, you know, maybe it can go into some different things. But right now, I just wanted something solid, you know, I could take on the road and share with my friends and family and just, just go with I it. Love the idea. I love the idea of like, like making your own whiskey so you've got something to take with you on the road that you can drink that you know you're going to like. 
just to I know, I know. Seriously, I mean, first of all, I mean, there are so many whiskies in the world. I love the fact too that you went through all of them, and actually, there is still room for another one. It's like you know, it's like songwriting. I imagine it's like how many songs are there out there? But guess what? I want to write my own damn song, and it's my song, and it's my thing, and I totally get that. You know, but yeah. it's funny because Kentucky, Kentucky bourbon can be made outside of Kentucky, right? It's more to do with the alcohol content and how you make it versus it being having to be made in the state of Kentucky. Is that not right? Do you, you know, do you know? I, I, I need to check back on it, but I think that you might, it might have to qualify as a true Kentucky bourbon. It has to be distilled and aged in a certain type of barrel in Kentucky, but I'm not 100% positive on that. Because I'm not sure either. I remember in the back of my head having done some research on it. With, but it, So just to boil into it a little bit, what is it that you do look for in, the, in your whiskey? Is it rye, your whiskey, or what, what, where, what's the base of it? Well, the, re- the recipe is a bit of a secret, but it's a blend of rye and malt and, and okay. a few, you know. Nice. Um, How great. But really getting with the, I was so impressed with the, the distillery. It's like, my, I'm doing this with my wife and uh, also her cousin as well, kind of the team effort. And, you know, when we were kind of getting into it, it was just like there wasn't a lot of, imp- we couldn't get a lot of like answers, you know. And so we were, you know, asking, like, well, what does it take to be a bourbon? What is it? What's a blend? And we had all those questions and. I was really impressed with how we went to the distillery and we, we tried all these different kinds of whiskey and we really narrowed it down to what we wanted as far as the flavor profile. And it didn't take too long for them to really nail down what we wanted. You know, they had, we had like a, a hundred proof, a 90 proof and an 80 proof. And we kind of tried those and we would share it with friends and see how bad the hangover was the next day. And if we need to, <laughs> is it too spicy or is it, you know, we want it to be just a little bit more and then they would add to it and kind of blend a couple of other things. And uh, it was a really cool process of, of going through the steps and finding it. Made with love basically, which, and then I'm looking at the bottle that's just got the heart on it. I mean, is that, is that relevant? That's our family motto. You got to have a lot of heart, you know? <laughs> and it's, it's heart, not love, Tom. But <laughs> interestingly enough, I always wonder, if you don't spit it out as you're testing it, then surely by the end of the evening, whatever you've ended up with, it's probably your favorite whiskey. Because at that point, you've had so much of it. You're like, yeah, it tastes great, this whiskey. Anyway. But yeah, we definitely have spent a lot of time with it. And I was like, you know, this is... a I'm not going to do it unless this is something I really want to drink and it's something that I just absolutely thinks. No, it's just to, give you, me. just to give you a sort of small little, you know, insight into, into, you know, the whiskey. I've met Cody, you know, the manager he goes on the road with, and we had an evening in the local pub down <laughs> out here in Oxfordshire. And we were in the back room and the guitars came out and my friend Oddie came down and they were playing. And I can honestly tell you that when, when people say they like drinking whiskey, I mean, boy, they got the, 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 the volume went up. The locals, the, the steadfast locals, the old boys in the, in, in the other side of the pub would just had no idea what was going on. There's a sort of cowboy hollering and whooping, singing and playing. And a lot, I, I can honestly say that personally, whiskey is something that I, I kind of, it, it doesn't, too much whiskey, it doesn't agree with me. But the amount of whiskey that was put away in, in the time frame we have was, was, was what it was comes from a well-practiced, <laughs> a lot of practice. Legendary. Yeah, by the time we got to your house, we were in pretty good fighting shape. We had had a lot of practice yeah. on the road for a few weeks. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, so tell us yeah. about what's been happening for you, because obviously you mentioned you're, you're doing a show right now, but I mean, what has this past year been like? Someone like you who's on the road a lot touring, that's a huge game changer, because obviously so many, pretty much all concerts have finished, unless you're doing virtual concerts. But you, you created this thing called 
the cantina uh, sessions, right, for your online followers and what have you. Tell us about that. What, 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 what is it exactly and, and what, what's that been like? You know, I mean, it's, it's been a, a crazy time, you know, as everybody has experienced so far. But I was really fortunate that my, when my record came out a couple of years ago, I had a chance to go on tour. And I, you know, I pretty much toured all the, that year leading up to uh, the pandemic. And so I was planning on taking off the whole year to write songs for a new record and all of that stuff. Like I, I just finished our, our kind of tour with, uh, with Tom and Henry and them over there with you guys. And then I came home and everything hit. And I just kind of found myself sitting around and fans have been asking me for a while to, you know, do covers of certain songs and they would love me to hear do a version of this and a version of that. And it really just became something I was like, well, what can I give people right now? You know, what can I do for people? And, you know, I was like, I don't, what do I have to offer in this time? And so many people are out of work and they can't, you know, their kids can't go to school and there's just so much chaos and, so I was actually building a garden at our house, you know, we were going to be home. I was like, well, we might as well start us a garden. And um, every afternoon, about happy hour, I'd come into the barn and, and I said, you know, I'm just going to have a beer and play a song and share it with people. And I didn't really plan on doing it every day. It was something that I just kind of got roped into. The response was, uh, you know, so well for it. I just, I just kind of started doing it every day and asking people what they wanted to hear. And, uh, and I hope the song would help out with their day and help them get through things and maybe have something constant that was positive every day in the world. And so that's how it started. And um, you know, I just kind of kept, kept it going. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's funny. I mean, I, I've worked and, I'm, uh, and I have friends of mine who do Global Citizen here in, in, you know, in the U.S. And, yeah. um, you know, certainly putting together that online concert that they did. And, you know, one of the, the things that so many of the musicians and artists were worried about and concerned about was sound and quality. And, you know, because obviously they're recording on, oftentimes onto their phone or, so, you know, some people totally got the studio effect done and had it so it was the whole sort of studio vibe was pumped in through their phone or through the system so they they have that great sound but some people literally sounds like a bit like what you were doing was very much like you know here's my phone here's and here i am with my guitar and just kind of going for it were you concerned about any of that or you just didn't you were just playing you were just enjoying yourself yeah, I was just enjoying it, you know, and I thought it would just be nicest to be real, you know, with people and that, you know, it was, I'm pretty rough and, and around the edges as, you know, a person. So I was like, you know, I just wanted it to be what it was and feel like, you know, I was inviting people into, you know, part of my home and what I did every day and uh, just share songs if we were just sitting in the kitchen or around the campfire. And a lot of times I you know, would forget the lyrics to the song or I would just, you know, I'd, I'd work in the garden all morning and listen to whatever song I thought would be cool for the day and try to memorize it the best I could. But other than that, I didn't really worry about it too much. I just tried to get out there and, and, uh, and keep up with it. What was the number one song though? What was it? Were there songs that people were just like, can you do that again? Or were there songs that were particular hits? That's curious. I'm wondering whether you were able to sort of, I don't know, test the waters a little bit by actually, hey, you know what? That song did really, really well. Like 10 times the, the likes of my previous song. Maybe I should be doing more like that. It could be a brilliant testing waters just by accident. <laughs> okay, I should be a bit more like Johnny Cash or something. I don't know. Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, it's, I, I, a lot of the Tom Petty songs I've done have really gone over really, really, really? well. A lot of people have liked those. And then there's been some songs that I've done by, that have been written by friends of mine that are, you know, not very well known. Like there's a good friend of mine named Terry Allen that I've done a lot of his songs. He's been a huge influence on me just growing up playing music. And so uh, it's been nice to kind of share some music with other people that maybe, you know, people haven't heard of. And I've had a lot of good responses from those songs as well. And um, just kind of share some of the songs that, you know, 
things that have inspired me throughout my career, other musicians or artists and things like that. And people kind of get a sense of where my musical background comes from and uh, tell a few stories. So that's, that's been something that I've really enjoyed about this whole thing. It's funny, this lockdown's brought out, you know, I mean, what other scenario are we going to get when musicians, you know, are going to be able to get up there, play a song for their fans every day without their agents sitting there going, no, 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 you can't do this. This has to, you know, we've got to monetize this. this you know, you can't just do this. Yeah. yeah. What, is there ever going to be a scenario again where, you know, you're sitting up there, you're giving your time for your fans. There's nothing in it, you know. You're giving to the fans. The fans are loving it back. There's no kind of, you know, financial elements, you know. It, it's kind of a unique moment that I mean, it, it doesn't yeah, happen, right? does it? Normally, rather than kind of bring some light into the world, you know, and that's another thing of just kind of keeping it rough and real, and sitting down and having a drink in the afternoon and playing a song, and and uh, really kind of get down to what songwriting has always been about, you know, it's like sharing stories with your friends around the kitchen table or whatever, and, and not just mm -hmm. playing the song, but sharing the story behind it, you know, what it means and maybe creating some conversation about things that are going on in the world. And, you know, I know as being a, a kid from a very small town in rural uh, New Mexico, America, where we didn't have a lot of outside influence, you know, and so music really taught me a lot about the world, taught me a lot about social issues and things like that, that maybe, you know, people in my town or my family didn't really talk about. So, um, you know, sometimes I think about, well, maybe this song will reach a young kid in a small town, anywhere and uh, inspire them to look into what's going on in the world and help kind of form their 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 perspective on, on things so um, you know and like I know a lot of kids where I'm from like they've never had the opportunity and maybe never will be able to travel overseas and go to places like London and Paris and places like that so I can talk about you know my friendships that I've made and even talk with you guys here and people see that they're like wow maybe it's not such a big scary mean old world out there you know after all so you know, I think that all plays into it. This kind of leads on to the to, to your fundraising. So I mean, when I talk about not monetizing your Instagram thing, you haven't been monetizing it from a personal thing, but you you have been uh, kind of you've used it this this opportunity, as it were, to do a bit of fundraising. How you? Yeah, I have. Yeah, and that's been really really cool. Like I said, you know, I, I was fortunate that my record came out. You know, a couple of years ago, and I had the opportunity to, to tour. And I know that there's a lot of musicians and bands out there that. You know they have records coming out now and they're supposed to be on the road because you can't make any money you know selling your records you got to get out and sing for your supper and and play for people and so there's so many people bands musicians uh the crew guys sound guys lighting techs you know all these people are out of work and people that really need that i, I felt like that attention should go to them you know i thought for myself you know i just would try to help out in other ways and uh, we raised a bunch of money for an organization called no kid hungry for kids that can't get school lunches through going to school and things like that. And, and just try to, you know, just do something, you know? Yeah. That's no. a big deal. I mean, I, I know my kids go to public school in the U S and we, we live in New York. I'm actually in Woodstock right now in New York. And I, I was actually found it staggering that the number of children who received school lunches at school and breakfasts, by the way, not just lunch was over 70% of the children at the school and that 40% of the kids at the school by all accounts, are at the poverty line, if not below it. And yeah. I just had no real idea of that. I mean, I, you know, you, I mean, people actually drive up to, some people drive up to school in Range Rovers, right? But there's also pickup mm -hmm. trucks and there's everything. That's when New York is an unusual situation. But it just shows you the cross-section of what's happening in these schools and how you, 
you know, you misjudge somebody or you, not that you're trying to judge them, but you just have an opinion or you may think that a certain thing is happening. But there are kids going to school right around here who are relying on that breakfast and lunch. Otherwise, they're yeah. probably going to go hungry. You know, so you raised $80,000 from your T-shirt sales. That's pretty spectacular. Yeah, we, you know, we had no idea. I just, I, I didn't know what, if it would do much at all. And then we got on there and uh, yeah, the, uh, the support was astounding for, for that. And so, yeah, we, we were, we were you know, over the moon about that. And, and like you said, it's just really un- unbelievable. Just, you know, the, the haven that the public schools can create for those kids and for the food, but just a safe place to go for some kids too during the days. So Ooh. I was really happy to be able to help with that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you can't underestimate it. I, I, you know, I've, I've done work with charities all over the world. And, you know, one of the things that when you're trying to get children into schools is that obviously education is probably one of the most fundamental pillars of changing a society. You know, because if kids don't get educated, then the next generation doesn't have the, the, the sort of the capacity to actually make a change, right? So if you're dealing with like fundamentals, but the only way to get kids into schools almost anywhere in the world, and I mean places like Haiti and charities in Africa, is, is by providing food. Because the reason they go to school is actually not necessarily to get educated, but to get fed. It's as, it's as simple a thing as that. So No Kid Hungry, the charity that you supported, which everyone out there, you're listening, look them up, check them out, and help, because we really need help in the public school system. And this doesn't matter what country you're in the world. If there's a charity that locally that you can support that brings food to schools, do it, because it's amazing. Spindrift brings family and friends together during the holiday season, spreading holiday cheer, shaken and stirred style. The best part is it's made with just sparkling water and real squeezed fruit. That's it. It's the perfect drink for the holidays because it's a healthy and delicious alternative to soda with no added sweeteners. Let's be honest, you'll get all the sweeteners you need from all the holiday goodies. Spindrift Cranberry Raspberry is the perfect mixer for your cranberry ginger bourbon smash or to add some flair to a classic martini. So shake up your beverage selection this holiday season by going to drinkspindrift.com and use promo code SHAKEN25 for 25% off. That's code S-H-A-K-E-N-2-5 at checkout for 25% off. Cheers. Just talking about your songwriting process, I mean, just now listening to you, I mean, you're just you're a very deep individual. You're very sort of serious. And of course, these are serious times and all the rest of it. But are you drawing on everything that's happening right now around you into your songs for your new album? Is that how it works? And, and, and what is your process? I mean, what, what, I guess, inspires you? Like you're channeling yeah, Nigel yeah. right now. That's what he's trying to say. Yeah. Like it's right. inspiring a new song. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, there it is. There, there you is. go. There it is. Yeah, it, it all comes into play, and it, it really takes all of it. You know, the process for me is all is actually a bit frustrating because um, I can't just sit down and take a pen and paper and like craft out a song. Like a, a you know, I have to for some reason just kind of make myself available for it to come to me. And a lot of times, it's just kind of in like subconsciously or in just kind of lost thought. Um, it always starts with the music first. I have a handful of melodies and yeah, and it's just kind of it's almost like sitting up on t- a mountaintop and kind of looking down at the world, you know, through a square and just trying to be on the outside looking in and just describing what's going on, what's happened, where I've been, people I've met along the way and maybe past experiences, whether 
personal or not. Um, you know, I really try to just leave it wide open for whatever's knocking at the door and, and just make myself available to be there standing in the doorway when it comes running through. Either write it down or just sometimes I don't even have time to write it down. I just record it, you know, but whatever comes off the top of my head and then from there try to develop it into a song. But yeah, it's with all the stuff that's going on now, it's like I've just now started to sit down and write this week up here. I'm, I'm kind of really isolated in this cabin in the mountains in Montana and there's no, nothing but a running river next to me. And um, so I'm kind of interested to see what starts popping out. It's a bit scary at times. I don't know if I want to, you know, face some of it because it, it can definitely be um, not always easy facing some of that stuff and writing about it. But it just kind of is what it is. It sounds like you're talking about, obviously, I mean, because obviously we've got a pandemic, but we also have a, a very interesting political situation boiling up and you know we don't tend to get too into politics on shaken and stirred in general but you know certainly looking at some of your music you've, you've written sort of have political type lyrics i mean i listened to that song situation station and you motivate people in that song and it's is politics isn't something you seem to shy away from though listening to you or reading about you and hearing about what you say you are pretty kind of like full on you're like here i am this is what i've got to say and take it or leave it kind of yeah, and I, you know, I've always, you know, my some of my biggest influences were, you know, started with Bob Dylan, and then from there I learned about Woody Guthrie, and you know, people, and it was all Joan Baez and that whole kind of music from the '60s and, and '70s and protest songs, and um, you know, as a young kid being from a small place, I, you know, hearing, you know, guys like Bob Dylan you know, sing these songs about things that weren't really talked around at the dinner table at my house. It really opened a door to a different universe for me. And as I've gotten older, I feel even more of an obligation to have something to say in these in songs and just in writing, you know, hoping, you know, as just because I know how and how much it meant to me for to hear some of those things when I was younger, because I, I definitely felt all those things and um, about the world and uh, it just really helped to have somebody talk about it and like kind of validate my own feelings as a young kid. And so I just try to be aware of that writing songs now and, and uh, you know, take other people into consideration and um, don't let kind of some of the pressures of the world silence some of those true feelings and then just kind of what I, what I, what I feel about what's happening in the world. So, yeah, I don't, I don't shy away from it at all. Okay, so one of the big movements right now is Black Lives Matters, right? And there's a, obviously that's the sort of the protest of our times. And you know, those musicians you all you mentioned, they're all sort of white men singing. And and it's from a country perspective, from a sort of rock and roll perspective too. That whole music scene is predominantly white, and yeah. not to make this a white black thing or anything like that, but just sort of you know, how does your audience resonate with those sorts of messages? And you know, and, and how does that kind of they're singing for that kind of protest. Is it changed? Is the protest still the same? Because obviously Black Lives Matter is a, a movement which involves people of every color, denomination, everywhere, all over the world. But it is also divisive and it's polarizing in, in some respects. And certainly in the US, you've got, you know, perhaps what people see is people driving around in pickup trucks who are predominantly white, who are, you know, who potentially could be the audience for country music. You know, if you look at it, that's a generalization, massive. And I know that, right? But from an outside perspective. So when I look at someone like you who sort of wears his heart on his sleeve, I'm wondering where you find yourself and whether this is something that is, is a, an issue of any sort or how, what you're, how you feel about that. It's been a struggle, you know? I mean, I come from a very rural place, you know? My family were ranchers, uh, you know? I wear a cowboy hat. I get a lot of these, a lot of people that just assume I'm kind of some good old boy from 
West Texas, which, you know, in some sense, that's how I grew up there, yeah. you know, and I understand that world like from the farms and ranches to the oil fields, you know, I grew up in all of that stuff. And, you know, it's a very racist place. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat that at all, you know, and um, I think a lot of people, it's it's hard for them to talk about that, you know, but I think it's really an, an underlying issue, you know, and yeah. um, over the years, you know, me having the opportunity to travel around the world and kind of see how other people live and experience different cultures and, you know, it's just really broadened my perspective. You know, I have Black Americans in my band that I travel with down the road, you know, you know, I, and I, I share those experiences with them and hear their stories of how this all makes them feel, you know, and that makes a big difference. You know, you go into towns where they're just, they don't have any Black people in their communities, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting to hear these different perspectives and all of that, but for me of just having friends of different color whether they're black or brown or or asian or or wherever they come from it's just like i just don't really have much space in my life to tolerate that and especially as i get older and i have children of my own and just like i think it's just very important for me to to say what's on my mind about that i i uh, it's hard you know it's i struggle with the identity of being this kind of guy from america i don't know what that really means sometimes you know you hear Hear some of the things that people say. So um, you couldn't, you shouldn't be stereotyped just because you, you know, just because you kind of, you know, you like country music. You like, you know, you, well, you play, you know, a certain type of music. But do you, did you notice that Nigel earlier on, just in this podcast, said, "Oh yeah, yeah, we don't really like to get political here." So what do you think about Black Lives Matter? <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, Nigel, you know what I mean? It's like throw the guy yeah. off. It's, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to knock him off his game. I mean, for God's sakes, he looks like Brad Pitt. <laughs> with a with a bottle of whiskey, you know, from Bob Dylan on his on his on his shoulder, and, and the guy sings and looks like everything else. I've got to do what I can to like, you know, get something out of him. Really, really. Well, you know, to put it bluntly, it's like you know, um, you know, it, it, it's hard. Like it's, uh, you know, we had the, the the president of our of the United States that won't denounce white supremacy. So there you go. Yeah. What else yeah. are you gonna say? Did you? Can I ask? Can I ask you a question? Did you? I mean, when I was when I was learning guitar and I was in my kind of mid teens. My influences were quite a lot of people that you said, like Bob Dylan, Baez, and certainly Woody Guthrie, and you know, and then obviously the Guthrie influence on Dylan. But also, I had a huge influence, and I guess this is because my parents' record collection had it. But a lot of kind of black blues guys, a lot of you know, Lightning Hopkins, and you know, the Mighty Waters, and the, you know, and I, I kind of learned a lot of that. I learned a lot of picking of my picking from through, through listening to these guys on the record. So massively influential. And then if you look at the whole blues thing, you know that that transcends, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, whatever. Did that kind of music, did that kind of black blues music, those guitarists have an influence on you when, when you were learning or, or were you more were you more of the kind of folk scene or what, what was what was your kind of, you know, your main influence was the Guthrie and the Dylan, was it? Or, or did you sort of draw from everywhere? It was a bit of a draw. It started with, you know, I would say more like country and folk music stuff that I, I grew up listening to, but there was, you know, a bunch of songwriters around Texas, like Towns Van Zant and Guy Clark and this guy Terry Allen that I brought up and, you know, were songwriters that were singing about where I was from, you know, the local kind of area and region that I really related to. Um, and then it got into, my uncle had a bunch of old records from this old bar my family owned out there. And that was all, you know, it was, it was the Stones, Zeppelin, Dylan, Baez, Towns, Guy Clark, and you kind of named, this all that music from that era. And so I think just through listening to that, I, you know, went into the blues because in 
you hear that's where they learned it all, you know, that's where they're. And so I just naturally kind of progressed and, and went there and went down that road. So yeah, music that has something to say and, and music that had that evoke some kind of emotion of, of where you're from and the story that you have to tell. And just, I guess my own personal stuff that, uh, songwriting is always a way to just vent and get stuff off my chest and kind of make sense of the world and things that I've, I've gone through personally as well. So it's not, it kind of becomes something more at the end of the day. It's not just uh, writing a song. It's sometimes you're writing a song to kind of, you write those songs to kind of save your own life sometimes. Wow. Nice. I was thinking nice. Like when we were in the pub the other day, I, you to, I asked you to sing um, London Homesick Blues, which I don't know, you know, which has got to be one of my favorite songs because uh, it's about all of where you want to, where you don't want to be, which is this Texan, basically this Texan who wants to be in Abilene and not in, 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 but one of the lines is, you know, he was down in Marble Arch Station, you know, this cowboy basically in London who just, who just really was so homesick for Texas. You know, you want to go, Nigel Nig used to live about a block behind Marble Arch Station. So whenever I hear that, I think of him, which is quite, do you remember at the pub, we yeah. were singing that. So I think it's one of the greatest, if, no, if, no, if anyone's listening to this podcast, London Homesick Blues, I think one of the better songs written about trying to get out of, out of London. Without, a, without yeah. a doubt. In fact, you know, Ryan, you've got to encourage Tom to perform more himself because he will bring his guitar up. There he's got one right now. Oh, there it is. He's heard me play. We played in the pub together a little bit. I wasn't <laughs> that should, you should start playing that song for the, the, the that should be the theme song for the show. <laughs> I know. But seriously. I mean, I've been trying to get him. He, he'll play right before we get on. He'll like bring his guitar up. He'll stream, you know, play a little bit here. As soon as we start recording, and we, he put it down. And I'm like, come on, come on. And he's no. like, no, Ryan, I said, I got on earlier and the, girl, the girls doing the podcast, they were there and I said, I wrote this brilliant song. Listen, I, I just let it, it's like. What do you reckon? Do you reckon, do you reckon I can do anything with this? I think you should, yeah. Play it better than I do. And then, and then I'm not going to even go with the, with the voice because uh, unfortunately I haven't got a good voice, unlike some people <laughs> around here. At the moment, anyway, can we can we can we get to that part? Sorry, because obviously I well, that wasn't a song by me. That was Nigel. Know this, having listened to it over and over again, because he fell in love with the song during the last week. Of course, the weary kind. So, okay, wait a second here. We kind of got to fast forward a lot to everyone. So, this is your now. We're getting to the sort of Oscar winning, Golden Globe winning, in fact, just winning all over, pretty much. This was a pretty crazy moment in your life, right? So, you collaborate with T Bone Burnett, like legend and create this song where we kind of just take us back for a moment to that moment because that's a, that's a it must have been a pretty joyous amazing kind of moment in your life what was that experience like collaborating with someone like him first of all it was very surreal you know at the time i had a, a kind of a i had a band put together we were traveling around playing all these road houses and bars and just slumming it out you know in these honky tonks and living out of this dirty old van and i met the director scott cooper for this film called Crazy Heart. And he told me he was looking for songs for the movie. And he sent me a, a copy of the script. And I remember going on the road for a couple of weeks and I was reading the script in the back of the van while we were rolling down the highway. And I just started rolling with that finger picking melody on the guitar and wrote the song going down the road in the back of the van. And I got home and I, uh, I recorded the song and I called Scott and I said, hey man, I, I think I might you know have a song for you. You know, if you want to give me your address, I'll, I'll put, you know, a demo tape in the mail to you. 
And he said, well, are you at home? Are you in, are you in California? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm in Topanga here. And he said, well, I'm over at T-Bone Burnett's house right now. And we're, we're right over here by Santa Monica studio. He said, why don't you just bring the song over to us? And so I was like, all right. I, I jumped in my old van and I drove there at T-Bone's house. And uh, I remember I just had this, you know, demo CD in my, in my pocket. And I walked up to the door, knocked on the door, and I was just going to drop it off. And T-Bone answered the door and he's just like seven foot tall, you know, all of them standing in the doorway. And he's like, Hey kid, heard you got a song. And I said, yeah. I said, here's, here's my, here's, here's a song. And he said, well, why don't you come inside? And I go inside and there's a whole house full of people. It was him and Stephen Bruton and Jeff Bridges and all the music supervisors for the show and Scott. And I think Robert Duvall was, I mean, this the whole house full of people talking about this, movie and trying to come up with songs and t-bone walks right over to the stereo and puts the cd on right in front of everybody while they're sitting there and i'm just you know a little bit taken aback and nervous and they all listen to the song and t-bone says I, man i think that actually might work and he goes can you sit on the couch and play it for us right now and he handed me a guitar and i sat down and played the song and he said yeah that's gonna be our song wow. and that was it we Start out. He hung out. He said, "We need a couple more songs." We I went up. We worked on a few more other songs for the film, and you know, next thing I know, a week later, I'm in the studio with all these guys, and we're just cutting it. And it's it's it. It was on. Crazy. What a story. I mean, I mean, first of all, okay, just the way you wrote it in a sort of like on your way in, and you put it down, you bring it to those guys. They're all in there. But then, okay, so you do that, but you have no idea of the success that it's going to become in the, within the movie, right? So. It yeah. resonated with all those people just there, but just like wildfire in a way, like it just spread and everyone loved it, right? It just becomes this phenomenal sort of train you can't stop. Yeah, and then they really integrated the song within the film, you know, the way Scott just kind of really made it part of the, the through line and the, the narrative of the story. And, and then even after the film was made, nobody really knew what was going to happen with it. I mean, they, it was kind of an independently made movie. I think, I can't remember who was kind of behind it at first, it financed it maybe like Sony or something. And then at one point it was in the can, like it wasn't going to get even released on the DVD and something happened like right before all the, you know, wars and, and Fox searchlight was a studio that ended up picking up the film and just like it blew up. And next thing I know, I remember laying in bed with my wife and the phone was ringing at 5am in the morning. And uh, there's my agent and he's in New York. He's like, Hey man, you just, you just got nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> wow. And it, we, just, we had to sit there and laugh, you know, because it was just so surreal. And we're like, I think I was like, bullshit, you know? <laughs> I was like, you're kidding. And because uh, it was just something that I did never, ever thought would oh. ever happen, you know? God, though. Wow. How crazy. And what did it, though? I mean, I always, you often wonder, because obviously musicians, it's all about Grammys and stuff like that. But when you start winning Golden Globes and Oscars, does it affect your career specifically? Is it directly related to people go, oh, you are the Oscar winner? Or is it still, it's all Grammys and it's just a fun thing to have? No, it definitely changed a lot of things. You know, I mean, it didn't really for me personally, but it changed a lot of people around me. And, uh, you know, it definitely gave, it, it opened up a lot of doors for me to go do other cool things. Like I definitely had an opportunity to come over and play in Europe a lot more. You know, there are promoters over there that would, Give me an opportunity to come over there and play, you know. So because, because of the fact that I had, had that experience, and you know, it didn't really catapult me into all of a sudden just like super stardom or anything like that, because that just wasn't really who I, I was. But it 
um, I just kind of took it one step at a time and just tried to roll with it. Because if it was me, you know, I'd be sitting there like you right now with my hat on and, you know, I'd have my, my, my whiskey would be right here. My Oscar would be here and my Golden Globe would be there. And you know, the whole thing would be a setup, right? And so, you know, just different people, you know. It's the reason why I don't do what he does, Tom. But I know, no, and that's the reason why, why you're, that you've just basically given the audience an insight into how chronically insecure you are. However, Ryan, you'd like to know that Tom, actually, if, you were, if he was a twister camera, you would actually see a picture of me behind him on his piano. So actually, if you want to know what's behind all of us, you know, we will have our own vices. Right, Tom? Yeah. No, I'm not even going to go there. No comment, no comment. Okay. okay, moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly on. You mentioned earlier about this sort of, you know, we're talking about the songwriting process too, and you just mentioned how you wrote that song. You know, you have that song, Wolves, which I listened to and I listened to, and it was... I've got to say, it was, a, it was such a beautiful song. And so just the way you sing it. And I, I listened to it, first of all, and I hadn't look, looked at you on a video singing it or a music video or anything like that. I've just, and I myself found myself with my eyes closed and what have you. And I've, you know, dealt with bull, being bullied as a kid myself. And certainly I know my, even my own children have had bullying. In fact, so many kids deal with this. Yeah. But when I then watched you sing it, you sing it, and and you and I again. Maybe it's just the angle of the camera, what have you. But I noted that your eyes are closed throughout almost the entire song. It seems like you are so internal on it. Yet it's such an internal and personal thing. Yet the music that comes out of your mouth is obviously such a is so external, and it's so much sort of broadcast of how I feel. It's very sort of I don't know cathartic just to look at you singing in that in that manner. What is that like for you to be so personal? with your emotions and how does it feel to sing songs like that? I mean, it can be pretty tough sometimes playing it live. You know, some, there are definitely some nights where I just can't play them. You know, I got to just pick and choose those times. You know, it's, it's, uh, cause it is, it's, it's, it's some of those songs, like I said, that weren't really intended for anybody to hear, you know, I mean, that one was, I definitely wrote it for all these kids out there that have to experience this on a day-to-day basis. And with the, you know, the whole culture of like online and, and, all of that stuff that's 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 kind of happening, but uh, yeah, it, it's not it's not easy. Sometimes I got to close my eyes and just kind of take myself to some other place and and just to be able to get it out. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, I guess you know when I think of things like that, I mean, it's certainly you know I've done things personally that are, are incredibly emotional to me. And, and to your point, you have to pick and choose when you say those things. I've I you know lost my sister to suicide and. I've d- dealt with things like that and gone public with th- those sorts of bits of information and found myself crying in public at a yeah. public event because yeah. of that kind of emotion and putting yourself, you know, your, your heart on your sleeve and allowing yourself to get there. But music is a very vulnerable thing. I mean, every time you listen to a song, it can take you back to a moment in your life. It can, it takes you, so it's, and it may be, it may still hurt, right? You haven't got over it, you know? What are you hoping that people take from that kind of music? What are you hoping? You, know, you wrote it, you said, for all these kids out there. Are you hoping that they will get solace or that they will change or they will get courage? What is it that you expect? You know, I don't know if I really have any expectations. I think it just kind of, it accidentally happened. You know, it was like, for me, being able to write about those things, like, um, you know, same thing about both of my parents died from suicide and I have a song called Never Far Behind that I wrote about them. and helped me deal with it you know it helped me kind of move with it because all that stuff you 
you never forget about it. You're, you're not going to get rid of it. You know, you have to just learn how to live with it. And, um, and it helps me live with it, you know, and, and talk about it and through a song when maybe sometimes I can't really talk about it in conversation with people every day. And, um, you know, at, at first, I think the songwriting was a bit selfish for me because it was just about me and my own problems and kind of helping me get through my own things in a therapy type way. And then the more I would have the experience of being around other people that would hear these songs and they would be like, man, I have, I have a similar experience to that. And they would interpret the song into their own lives and they would tell me how much it meant to them and how much it helped them get through maybe their own situation. And so now when I'm writing these songs, I take that into consideration and it, it, it really kind of helps me write because it makes me feel like I'm doing something good with these songs that it actually is helping people with things in their lives. And a song like Wolves, you know, I wrote about, you know, kind of my own experiences of, of growing up. I moved a lot. I was a new kid in town, got a lot of fights and always had to prove myself everywhere I went and just kind of stand up to these type of people. And then, you know, hearing those stories about these school shootings all these kids are going through and uh the kids that started the march for our lives you know about you know trying to make some you know change some things with gun control and 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 hearing uh grown men and women kind of attack these kids online and hearing the kind of rhetoric and the things that they would say to these kids and it just really took me back to when i was younger and hearing those things so you know i just wanted to write it for those kids and let them know that there was somebody out there listening you know too and be like you're not all on your own and uh you know maybe it'll help them you know just kind of get through it at the end of the day yeah good on you for doing it it's it's it's, it's brave all around and i know that you probably say oh well it's not but it, it, there is there's a, there's a courage in all of it and i think that's that's just the strength that people probably draw i mean i saw i i didn't don't know you like tom has met you and, and then you you know and i've but i just listening to your music you some people when i look them up and i, re, I have guests on the show and i'm fascinated with who they are but the more I dug into you the more I, I actually turned around and I said to my wife I'm like god damn it I want to be this guy I want to be his, I want to be you <laughs> because you're just so open as it seems like there's very much a kind-heartedness to you and in the way you sing was just it was very intimate you know I didn't feel like sometimes you listen to music and it, you love the songs and they're really fun but you don't feel necessarily that connected to it it's almost like the, the fanfare and the production kind of separates you a little bit from the music. And you don't have that. That facade is pulled away. And that rawness, I think, is not that I'm an expert by any sense, but just as a layman's to, you know, sensibility. That's how I felt when I, when I listened to your music. I'm like, wow, I, I like this guy. You know, so. The music is, I mean, you know, I can personally, I can spend the best hours of my life are spent on my own with music, with a guitar or, or playing. And Brian, would I be wrong to say that there's a kind of element of the introvert, you know, in you? In order to kind of get to the point where you can actually put those emotions and feelings into a song, into music, you can have help, but really they're very personal, a lot of your songs. And, and that's, that's a lot of kind of introspection going on there. But I mean, let me ask you a question. Does your wife, who I know, it, it, you know, you guys are kind of like a, a great team. Is there ever a kind of moment where, where you, you go into a place where you're writing music and she's just like, okay, Christ, let's leave him over there and that, let's lock him in the room and let's leave him alone for a bit? <laughs> There's a reason why I'm in Montana, isolated in a cabin by myself for two months so I can write songs. <laughs> well, it wasn't your decision. It's not your decision. You know, it's. I've always had to be by myself to write just because I know it's not easy going to those places. And, and, and she's always been very understanding, even when we first got together. But, you know, I, I know it, 
she was probably at first like, wow, does he really have to go away for that long to write some songs? But she, she understands. She knows who I am and kind of what I've been through in life. But you were gone. But you were like, when you were over here at the beginning of the year, she was back home. You know, you were, you were expecting another addition to your family. You know, you're away for a long time. I mean, you've got to be very understanding to, to, to be the supportive wife to someone who, you know, it's a bit, bit like being at sea, really. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like eight weeks, I think, that tour was. And, um, you know, we split it up. I mean, a lot of the tour that was in the States, she came along with me and brought our kids. And so we really tried to, to kind of plan that out every year. And you know, I do a big, long tour, usually in the spring and in the fall when I have a record out. And then other than that, most of the stuff is on the weekends. And so... We just kind of, yeah, you kind of mentally prepare for those times. And we've been doing it so long. And, you know, my wife, she's my manager. She runs our record label. And it really kind of affords me to just get on the road and concentrate on the music and not worry about kind of alternate agendas from other business things. So I can, uh, I know that everything's kind of going at home at the end of the day to our family. And, and that helps out a lot. Are your kids all kind of, are they going to grow up? Are you going to have like a little Carter family thing going on? And you've got a, I, you've got a train of different instruments. I hope they're all in like the, the symphony or something. <laughs> and not playing in the bars. Oh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. See, you know, the Von Trapp family type of thing going on here. You know, you've done so many things, but this this has also led you to television, right? And and a show called Yellowstone. And I, when you first said you were up here, I wasn't sure whether you were doing something for Yellowstone, but in fact, you're, you're recording an album. That's what you're, or you're writing for your album. That's why you're, you're, you're in, you're up in Montana right now. Yeah, I'm doing both. I came up here to work on the show. Um, but since for this pandemic, they brought everyone on the show and they just kind of quarantined them in Montana and we're all here doing the show and we're not going back and forth. So I've just taken the opportunity to, you know, find a place up here in Montana to write some songs while I'm here. I, I don't work every day. Like I might have a, a week's worth of stuff where I'm, I'm working on the show and then I have a week off and I'm writing songs. So I'm just kind of trying to make the best out of, out of being up here and get some stuff done. And yeah, I, I came up here to work on, on the Yellowstone TV show. Well, congratulations on that. I, and I just, the, the story of how you got onto the show, can you share with us a little bit about that again? And I'd love to also to know, like, do you at this point, I mean, obviously you're a performer and you're an entertainer as well, but you know, it's 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 different, right? Not being on a sh being recorded by a camera and acting and performing a char a character that's not necessarily you. What is that like? And do you are you being trained additionally? Are you being are you taking acting lessons or how did, what are you doing right now to help you with that? No, I just you know I, it's kind of a funny story. I met the the guy Taylor Sheridan, who's the creator and writer of the show, and you know, he it's kind of like with the, the Crazy Heart film, he contacted me just about using some songs and maybe writing some for the show. And then he found out that I used to do all the cowboy stuff and, I, you know, rodeoed. And he said, well, he said, hell, I got to write you a part for this show. And um, he said, he literally said, he goes, I don't know what to do with you, but he said, we'll, we'll figure something out. And he said, we'll do something. We'll start with something small. And he said, if you do good, then we'll just keep you on and write the part in. And he said, if you suck, we'll just kill you off. <laughs> <laughs> that always works. Yeah. Yeah. Still so it's kind of a running theme of being on the show is like not dead yet. But Walker's not <laughs> dead yet. You know, you never know <laughs> how many seasons he's going to make it. But uh, yeah, I got it. You know, he's used a bunch of songs. I've played some in the show and, and I, it's a bit of a tight cast. You know, I, I've definitely drawn some inspiration from, some old cowboy friends that I've known for the character, but uh, 
I love the fact that the rodeo rider, the cowboy, is going to draw inspiration from other friends who are cowboys in order to know how to be a cowboy. I mean, how does I, I'm not yeah. even going to, you know what? I'm going to just kind of like gloss over that everything you just said because it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I got mean, the cowboy needs to talk to a cowboy to learn how to be a cowboy. I'm you know what I mean? Like, I, as far as just like the character goes, of like just the sense of humor, sensibilities, of, like I know some just some classic characters that I've grown up with. You know, working on ranches together, whether it be like little mannerisms or things like that, I've, I've just kind of adopted to myself, you know, as you, as you do, as if, you know, hanging out with your brother long enough, and, you know, so you could, you could pretend, you know, do. <laughs> you, wouldn't want to adopt, you, you wouldn't want to adopt too many of his mannerisms. Going, by the way, I, it would be, it would be very poor form if, if we're having a chat on the podcast and, and I didn't mention the fact that you was, one of the things you were supposed to be doing was, well, in theory, you know, again, my brother, you know, his, 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 his projects, you know, he's got ambitious projects Let's say that. Now, one of his projects was this, I guess, right around about now, actually, there was an idea that he's got a sawmill out here in, in the countryside in Oxfordshire, an old abandoned sawmill. And he wanted you to come and do a, a concert at it as a sort of an inaugural, yeah. you know, like, a, which is a, it's a very cool place and it's a very cool idea. Obviously, that's been thrown into kicked into touch because of this situation we're all in. Is that is that still on the books? Yeah, this I still want to do it. We just kind of got to reschedule for when I can get over there. But yeah, I think that's very much on the books. It's such a really cool spot for that, and we're kind of doing my wife and I. We put on a similar kind of festival type thing here in the states in a place called Lukenbach that looks very much just like that place over there. So I, I think it'll be a great place to have. A campfire jam and some good food and you know, well, people sitting the, around Waylon Jennings who was it made Luke Park, Texas famous Waylon Jennings Waylon and Willie yeah Waylon and Willie yeah and it's just an old barn out in the middle of kind of central Texas and there's like a little a little post office bar and, and an old barn that you know all these songwriters used to hang around and, and just play songs and share stories and it's very kind of similar vibe uh you uh, well, we were supposed to do it this summer, but, you know, with everything going on, we're going to push it till next year. Are, are there any plans yet? I'm curious, as far as you guys going on tour or, or people in general going on tour, do you have any, are there any inklings or is it literally on hold until some other date? I mean, I, I think a lot of people would love, obviously, to go to a concert. We don't know how that would happen, but I know they've had sort of concert type things in the UK where they've had sort of social distancing platforms and things yeah. for people to sit on and stuff outside. But is, is there any word? That's the same here. It's just kind of everybody's trying to look forward to doing something and like in the new normal of whether that's outside at a drive-in movie theater or some socially distanced kind of house party, private party type kind of things, you know. But as far as like big touring with, you know, arenas and trucks and buses and packing people full of those, that's going to be around at any time soon. But, you know, I don't know. I'm just kind of like everybody else living in this nightmare day to day. Well, listen, <laughs> when it kicks off again, I'll be out on the first plane over when we're allowed to get over with Ollie. That's right. Before we get on to the last part of the show, you have another, you have a, an album you said coming out in 2021. That's the the hope, right? You have are you finished writing it? Where are you in that process? That's I'm just getting into it right now. So I'm, I'm writing these songs. Like yesterday was the first day I kind of sat down and started uh, kind of press record on the on the player. And um, so yeah, I'm hoping to knock that out while I'm here for the next couple of months, and then and then have something out by next year. Amazing, right? There'll no doubt be a, a bit about having to talk to a couple of limeys when you're trying to get. <laughs> 
on your on your day on your on your day off. You know, you can always slot that in there. Jesus, what did you do? Well, to I had deserve? a London homesick news for you. There you, go. <laughs> you do to deserve this. I'm so sorry. I'll record it for you and send it to you. <laughs> That's a good lyric, Tom. What did I do to deserve this? I think someone's already taken that bit. Um, <laughs> All right, so before we let you go, we've got something called Last Orders, uh, which is a little rapid-fire question. Are you, are you... I'm going to interrupt this, because normally, right, Ryan, one of, the, one of the questions, which a friend of mine came up with, actually, that we like to use, which is, is and actually you can answer it if you want, but I, I think it sort of doesn't do, doesn't do you any justice, really. You know, one of the questions is, in the, in the movie of your life, who would you have play you in the movie of your life? But, I mean, clearly you're at an age where you can play yourself, so... <laughs> I don't know. Well, actually, is there anyone you would have play other than yourself? Well, like the old version of me, or like what age would I be? You know? Oh, there uh, we go. You <laughs> see, you could do anything with me. Okay, that answers the question. So, maybe you could do to play the old me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I think if you shaved as well, you'd probably knock about 15 years of your life, actually. Looking yeah, I look like I'm 10 if I shave. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, there you go. <laughs> Two questions. What gets your goat? And what floats your boat? Well, I can tell you that what floats my boat is whiskey right here. So there we go. What floats my boat? A day off with my bottle of my own whiskey. That'll do that. That'll answer that. That'll answer that question. Oh dear. And I guess what gets your goat? We'll hear about in your songs, right? You'll hear about that in a song for damn sure. Who would you most like to collaborate with? You know, what I've had this. People have asked me this before. I would really love to write some songs with Dolly Parton. Really, she's a very. I think she's a fabulous song. She's written some pretty amazing songs, and she just seems like a very interesting kind of human being too. Love and that. I just think like the mix of you know of singing some songs and collaborating would be pretty cool. That's that's one wow. person I've always thought would be and pretty she's prolific. She still writes a lot, right? Yeah, she still writes a lot and and very kind of active. And so yeah, I don't know. That's just, that's that's some somebody I've always. I can see it now, Ryan in Dollywood. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Okay. Uh, curious. Do you sing in the shower? I do. I always sit in, I usually always sing a song called uh, The Midnight Special. <laughs> <laughs> Love that song. Oh my God. Yeah, I was going to say, which song was it? So that's, so why? Because the acoustics give you like, a, like an even deeper voice? Because your voice is even deep. It's really deep when you sing. So like the resonance of it, of the shower, obviously like. I'm yeah, I don't know what it is, but if I sing that if I sing that song song in the shower, it sounds really good sometimes. <laughs> Love it. That's better good. than what I'm singing anywhere else. Come on, you got your guitar. You're picking your guitar. You're going to play it for this one. You see, this is what happens. He'll do that and then he'll put it down. He won't follow through. You yeah, never exactly. see him. You've got to push him. You can't start it and stop it like that. Sorry. Right. Hello. Okay, I'm quoting Ryan now from the, in the future. You can't start it and stop it like that. I had, I had Ryan's problem. I, got it, I was getting the, 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 the verses jumbled up in my head, you know? Uh, That's all right. right. Go with it and make it up if you can't remember it. <laughs> There you go. That's what I do anyway. <laughs> there we go. So one more. What's the most trouble you ever got into, Ryan? Oh, oh, man. I, I did uh, spend a little time in jail when I was a, a young kid. I was <laughs> having to live with my grandmother for a while. And um, 
and it was just hanging around with some of the wrong kids and got into a little bit of trouble, but it wasn't the going to jail. It was the getting in trouble with the grandma. That was probably the, the worst. Of it. I, I, definitely, I didn't get in much trouble after that. Again, I can tell you, I can tell you that. Love it. Love it. I, the very final one, shaken or stirred, my friend? I got to say shaken. <laughs> Ryan Bingham, everybody, on Shaken and Stirred. Mate, thank you so much. You can obviously see him on Yellowstone. But he has a new album coming out 2021, which we will all check out and uh, can't wait for. And just good luck with everything. I know these are really tough times and continue doing what you're doing. You're helping so many people, inspiring so many people. And um, you know, it's been a real thrill to have you on Shaken and Stirred. It's nice to meet you. Thank you guys very much, man. Good talking to you. You too. Cheers, Brian. We'll see you soon, I hope. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.